0: Mr. Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society, my name is Patrice Dutile. We always like anniversaries here at the Champlain Society and we couldn't let 2020 slip by without recalling two key events that shaped Canada both 25 and 40 years ago. Of course, I speak of the Quebec Referenda on Independence, the first one held on May 20th, 1980, and the second, 15 years later, held on October 30th, 1995. To talk about these turning points in Canadian history, I'm pleased to reach out to Xavier Gélina, curator of political history at the Canadian Museum of History in Gatineau. Dr. Gélina is the author of La Droite Intellectuelle Québécoise et la Révolution Tranquille and co-editor of Duplessis, Son Milieu, Son Époque, as well as two volumes of René Lévesque's political commentary between 1966 and 1970 entitled Chronique Politique de René Lebec. We reached him by phone at his office. Xavier, welcome to Witness to Yesterday for the second time. Very pleased to be with you, Patrice. You're the witness to yesterday for this episode. How did you experience these events of
1: the first referendum in 1980 and the second one 15 years later? as an infinitely modest observer. In 1980, I was a highly politicized, but nevertheless 13-year-old grade -er. (laughs) eight-er. But it would surprise um, people perhaps, uh, I was not at, at all an isolated case of brilliance in being highly interested by political events at age 12 or 13. Such was the mood of the time in 1980 Quebec. Such worthy was the intensity of these events that any reasonably mature or about mature young teen would be vividly interested. Whether he or she would be objective and balanced, that's something else. But we all knew the issues, the names, René Lévesque, Pierre Trudeau, Claude Ryan, the arguments which we parroted mostly from our parents or for, from TV personalities but we were aware of these of what is happening it had a formative influence on you did it not uh, it, it couldn't have been otherwise uh, because uh, uh, the the baptism of um, of public affairs matters a lot It it stays with us you know my very modest uh, political or historical mindset was thus shaped in the late 1970s, early 1980s. The cradle was the referendum of 1980, the the constitution changes of 1981, 1982, and the rest is history.
0: So you were up late that night on May 20th, 1980,
1: were you? Yes, and I'm quite sure that I, I, I shed a tear, <laughs> too, because the, the TV coverage was, was uh, extremely good, very revealing. The, uh, m- maybe we, we, we will spoil the results, but the referendum... Uh, resulted into a very clear and resounding victory for the no side. So for the status quo. Okay.
0: Let's let, let's go. Let's wait. Let, let's wait for the denouement here. Let, let, let's start with the 1980 experience. So 40 years ago, uh, Xavier, what remind us? What provoked the 1980 referendum?
1: It was triggered, in fact, by the Parti Quebecois electoral victory at the general election of Quebec in 1976. The Parti Québécois had, be, had been created in 1968 by René Lévesque. Lévesque was still the leader in '76 and 1980. And in order to, so to speak, smooth the edges of his option in the view of moderate-leaning Quebecers, the Parti Québécois had introduced an important change in its platform in 1974, telling Quebecers, Okay, if you vote for us at a general election, you vote for a Parti Québécois government, period. Then, subsequently, if you wish to join us on our important project of sovereignty or sovereignty association, then you'll be afforded the opportunity in a referendum completely distinct from the election itself and held at another moment. Therefore, the Parti Québécois was elected in November 1976 with the promise of holding a referendum at some time during its first mandate. And it was coming to an end. L'Evesque just had to fulfill his promise, uh, even though he knew and all his strategic advisors knew that he had an extremely slim chance of of actually winning it. It was one thing for the general population to give a electoral majority to the Parti Québécois although not an absolute majority of 50 plus but because essentially the Parti Québécois was a middle of the road a slightly left of center group of um, of politicians who promised x and y things for Quebec but it was quite another to commit oneself and one's children and grandchildren to a fundamental constitutional change it was a leap forward, of course. Many people, as we as we will see, were ready, and eager to make that leap, but still, it, it was a steep, a, a steep step. And uh, but Lévesque, uh, ever the democrat that he was, had uh, solemnly promised to hold a referendum, and he had, in his view, to deliver on his promise, even though in his heart he knew he had almost sure uh, chance of losing it.
0: Now, on the other side, the Liberal Party under Pierre Trudeau found new energies. Uh, Remember that they had been defeated in 1979. The House is dissolved in late 1979. An election takes place in 1980. The Trudeau Liberals come back uh, with a majority very much thinking and convincing the Canadian public that Ottawa had to be strong in order to counter René Lévesque's side in the upcoming referendum.
1: That message by Pierre Trudeau was very successful, and it was heard. And Joe Clark, who had had a tenuous hold on power as prime minister of a minority conservative government between May 79 and very, very late 1979 was defeated. Uh, although the rest of the country, I mean, west of Thunder Bay or even west of South St. Mary, continued to vote overwhelmingly conservative, Central Canada supported Trudeau, including, ironically, Quebec. 74 out of 75 MPs in Quebec voted for the Federal Liberal Party headed by Pierre Trudeau.
0: It was a crushing victory in Quebec.
1: Yeah, so uh, in a certain sense, that was a bad omen for the we or sovereignty or René Lévesque option. But yet again, uh, Quebecers uh, are sometimes volatile in their electoral behavior. And uh, some people have described Pierre Trudeau on the one hand and René Lévesque on the other hand as two faces of the mirror of Quebec. So it was not unconceivable that the same people would one day vote for the federal liberal party in Ottawa and for the we oui option in Quebec City, as illogical as it may seem to us rational people.
0: Okay, so take us then to the spring of 1980. You have the the liberals strong as can be uh, in Ottawa, and you have the Parti Québécois. You have the creation of a we oui side, which was the Uh, the Parti Québécois side, the government side, and you have the non-side, which is led by which is led by whom?
1: The non-side is led by the leader of the Quebec or provincial Liberal Party, Claude Ryan, and that's that's an an important part of uh, of the explanation for what will follow mm-hmm. in uh, in early early spring 1980 as you rightly remind us uh, the federal liberal party is in full strength fresh with a new legitimacy of a majority mandate and Pierre Trudeau knows very well uh, that a referendum will be held in Quebec in late May. Therefore, his cabinet uh, uh, is constituted of an even greater proportion of French-speaking Canadians at very prominent uh, positions. However, under the Quebec election and referendum laws, the oui and non sides have to be headed by Quebec politicians spending only certain amounts of money allowed and uh, by the uh, Quebec uh, Directorate of Elections. Therefore for a certain time the Trudeau Liberals watch the referendum debate evolving with of course vivid interest but without extremely uh, without extremely bold intervention. And it goes to the point that in March 1980, and chronology matters there because nothing is preordained. In March 1980, at the National Assembly in Quebec City, takes place the debate, uh, the parliamentary debate, which is won, you know, hands down by the Parti Québécois side and his few non-Parti Québécois allies. Uh, Ottawa is really worried because Claude Ryan, the head of the non-side, the Quebec liberal leader, completely misses it. He is not telegenic. He he, uh, is very negative in his interventions. I mean, whereas the Parti Québécois uh, members are completely boosted because for them it is the fight of a lifetime. Ryan's not eloquent. And uh, at the end of March, you know, things go very uh, well, for the uh, for the we side, although the prospect of a victory, if it exists, are very slim. Mm-hmm. And and then two things occur: the um, the we side more or less trips uh, him himself uh, with the Lise payette Yvette incident, which we can talk about. And at the end of March, the federal liberals in Ottawa realized that Ernest Claude Ryan is no match to the charismatic. René Lévesque and therefore the Ottawa forces so to speak intervene in force jean Chrétien, Marc Lalonde and Trudeau himself
0: Right Now so we're we're in a full we're in a full force of the debate uh, of the of the referendum campaigns by the by by April and May Yes What were the turning points what is it that finally that you think gave the no side The victory. Now, you mentioned the Lise Payette story. Tell us what happened there.
1: We can summarize it. Uh, The Lise Payette story was unfortunate for the We side, uh, but it certainly galvanized the anti We forces already present in Quebec among women. Lise Payette was then the former TV host, uh, one of the few. Uh, female ministers in the Levesque government, very
0: popular woman.
1: Yeah, very, very charming, popular, you know, and very much a second wave feminist, who, in a speech, you know, in the in the spur of the moment and in the heat of inspiration, had disparaged old fashioned traditionalist sexist roles for women, while mentioning Mr. Ryan's own wife as someone who would embody such you know submissive women of olden days the Yvette's. yeah and as it, <laughs> as it happens, Madame Ryan personally was a model of an accomplished multi-purpose multitasking woman who had been you know involved in countless organizations for 30 years.
0: A very modern woman
1: yeah so it, it was it, it was a cheap shot. Completely erroneous. Uh, Payette sort of half apologized, half retreated, but the, you know, the, but the bad deed was done. More important than this unfortunate incident was Pierre Trudeau's intervention. Trudeau was a, was a master politician as we don't need to be reminded. So he chose his interventions uh, sparingly and carefully for them to have maximum impact he did only three speeches during the campaign, with the result that each of these was eagerly awaited and then lengthily commented upon. And the big speech of Pierre Trudeau, where really we sensed that the the pulse of Quebec started to to move, was uh, in Montreal on May the 14th, six days before the referendum, where he promised very solemnly that If ever the no triumphed in the referendum, the Ottawa Liberal Party would see this not as a mandate to do nothing and to sit on one's lap, but on the contrary, as a mandate to change things for the better energetically.
0: And that's what got us eventually the Charter of Rights and Freedoms.
1: Yes, and of course, it was a source of great misunderstanding and ambiguity. Many of the people especially from the yes side, have uh, said since and continue to be seeing 40 years uh, later that Trudeau deliberately was ambiguous in his choice of words and, and led autonomous leading Quebecers to hope or to think that perhaps he had understood some of the message and would propose constitutional changes in the autonomous direction, you know, to, to some degree.
0: But, you know, Xavier, as I listen to you, it strikes me that both the Payette uh, catastrophe for the Wee oui side and the Trudeau intervention would have turned the minds of older Quebecers against considering voting in favour of the referendum in the sense that the older voter was, as you say, disparaged by Lise Payette the older, more traditionalist, let's say, the traditionalist nationalist, the traditionalist Quebecer. And Trudeau coming back with a vision of a reinvigorated um, Canadian constitution, a new deal, perhaps, for Quebec. Both of those combined to convince a good proportion of voters, I suspect, that, all things considered, it was worth giving the liberals under Trudeau a chance to
1: respond to Quebec's ambitions. Yes, no, this this is sound, this is sound, and uh, because pe- pe- people of, of autonomist leadings, but nevertheless, as you say, relatively traditional in outlook, etc., etc., were already wary of the um, lefty, yes. pinko coloration <laughs> of Many of the Parti Quebecois, you know, leading figures. L'évêque himself was reassuring. Uh, of course, he did not look like a country m- notable or like a Knight of Columbus, but he was not an excited firebrand. Nevertheless, you know, the most, the more militants uh, among the Parti Quebecois were tended to be younger, tended to be urban, tended to be definitely left of center. So L'évêque had to paddle. Vigorously, to reassure, you know, the, the the mind and the apprehensions of the ordinary Quebecers, for lack of a better better word, and yes, t- and Trudeau offered a dignified way out of the dilemma. Like, we won't have sovereignty, of course, with with us, Trudeau said, but we will have something positive. Trust us, and we put our seats on the line.
0: So. We, we, we know that obviously the uh, no side won. The, they took 59, almost 60% of the vote. The yes won 40% of the vote. Um, how do you interpret? I mean, how were the results, I should say, how were the results perceived at that time?
1: For a long time, it's a big depression. Settled among the we forces, your question requires three answers. For the we side, the initial reaction, and it lasted for four or five or six years, was acute depression. Well, we just missed it. We had the fight of a lifetime, and we just dropped the ball. We wanted to finalize the glorious quiet revolution that had started 20 years ago, And we failed in our important mission. So for a long time, the morale of the we or or separatist or sovereignist movement was completely flat. For the no side, um, and especially for the federal Trudeau wing of the no forces, this was viewed, this failure of of the we was viewed as a signal, okay, we might have a chance to at last fulfill our project of constitutional renewal, but we have to act speedily. We have a window of opportunity there. Quebecers have made a clear-cut choice in favor of the no option. There is a wave of goodwill towards federalism. Let us not squander this moment. The momentum is ours. Let's seize it. So the referendum from the no or federalist perspective, kick-started the acceleration of the constitutional renewal process that had been completely quagmired for 15 years between one soporific conference to the other.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, Xavier, uh, 18 months later, of course, the federal government and nine of the provinces will agree to a constitutional package that includes a Charter of Rights and the repatriation of the Constitution, pointedly, where Mr. Trudeau and the Liberals had engaged themselves to strike a new deal with Quebec, a solemn promise made during the Quebec referendum. Uh, The great irony was that Quebec would not agree to this constitutional package.
1: That's accurate. And again, that's a bone of contention and controversy uh, in the civil society at large and even among scholars to this day. Some argue with A basis of coherence and good sense, that René Lévesque would never have signed any deal with Pierre Trudeau in November 1981. That's debatable. Uh, However, uh, the same René Lévesque was ready to extend a collaborative hand two or three years later to an equally federalist Prime Minister, Brian Mulroney, when Mulroney Hinted that a reasonably uh, accommodating constitutional change could be envisioned. So, therefore, it could be said that Lévesque could conceivably have signed some sort of uh, second-best constitutional arrangement. We, we will. Uh, it, it will be very hard to know.
0: Forty years later, Xavier. How do we interpret the 1980 referendum? How are historians, 40 years later, looking at that critical event?
1: As really a, a point of juncture, a, an axis or a, a, a pivot. Uh, the, the, the blessing with anniversaries is that they allow us to neatly slice history like uh, bits of salami. Yes. 1960 marked the beginning of the Quiet Revolution in Quebec. Although, of course, as all historical phenomena, it uh, had its root a little bit before, and but it can be said that 1980 marks the end of an important chapter of Quebec history: the Quiet Revolution. There was this, uh, you know, uh, two decades long push to enlarge and uh, the boundaries of the state and government to. Uh, relegate religion to the private sphere and to expand or try to expand the scope of, uh, of Quebec in terms of, in terms of national powers with some partial success, especially in the Pearson years, and some hope of you know finalizing la question du Québec in May 1980. Well, it was not finalized the way that these people hoped. Uh, but on the other hand, 1980 marks the beginning, the, um, the, the starting uh, pistol to 15 years of constitutional psychodrama that ended really with your second topic, the referendum of October 30, 1995.
0: Well, let's go then to 1995, a full 15 years later. Let's again take the same, tackle the same questions. What provoked the nineteen ninety-five
1: referendum? Fifteen years of agony, you say? <laughs> yes. Uh, what, or perhaps more accurately, who provoked it? Jacques Parizeau. And then we will elaborate. But what provoked it? It's a cascade. It's a Niagara or a domino effect of causes and consequences. The uh, the nineteen eighty referendum enabled or facilitated the 1981-1982 major constitutional upheaval uh, whose effects were tentatively uh, you know smoothed or modified by the Meech Lake Accord of 1987 which finally was not passed uh, when it expired in June 1990 the rejection of the uh, of the of the Meech Lake Accord led to a second attempt to do something to sort of a patch the, or, or heal the wounds felt by Quebec and other neglected groups, Charlottetown Accord rejected again in October 1992.
0: This time by a referendum, a popular referendum, yes.
1: Yes, that's true, Canada-wide. Well, this, this s- string... Of, of failures uh, uh, left many Quebecers, or a, a slim majority of Quebecers, to realize, okay, enough with second chances granted to Canada. Uh, a second chances was granted to Canada in 1980, another one when we hoped the Meech Lake Accord would pass, another one well, with without much enthusiasm for the Charlottetown Accord, but successively, these things did not materialize and left Quebec with no gain, because the nationalist wing often speaks in terms of gain. Therefore, the Parti Québécois returned to power in the fall of 1994 with the promise of doing a real hardcore yes or no, sovereignty or no referendum to end the matter once and for all.
0: And this time it's Jacques Parizeau who leads the charge in favor of
1: the weak. Exactly. In 1995, there are the uh, the the um, the crowd of people at the forefront have changed. It is the heirs and descendants of the ones from 1980. Trudeau is still active and occasionally comments on policy matters, but it is his uh, protege Jean Chrétien, who is the Prime Minister of Canada and head of the federal Liberals, and it is. Uh, L'Eveque's trusted deputy, Jacques Parizeau, who has become the leader of the party.
0: An old war horse, Jacques Parizeau.
1: Yes, old war horse in the sense that in 1985, both men, and of course, there are more than these two men, but they can be singled out as, you know, archetypes. They have seen the snow, snow, as we say in French. They know the rule book. They have studied it thoroughly. They have perhaps occasionally stolen a page or cheated a little. They know the, uh, the, the stakes extremely well. Par- Parisot is decided to finish matters, and so is Chrétien. Initially, Jacques Parisot is quite isolated even within the Parti Québécois, in, in the sense that the hardcore militants, of course want a second chance a real referendum that this time will be the right one as they say
0: the circumstances xavier are in their favour i mean after the humiliation of meech lake which had promised quebec a distinct status inside the canadian constitution had been rejected the watered-down charlatan accord had been rejected, but it stood also in in the eyes of many Quebecers as as an insult. Jacques Parizeau had the the the, the circumstances on his side. He was, I mean, again historically thinking, uh, he had the opportunity to strike while the iron is hot. Did he not?
1: Yes, to a large extent. I mean, the rising tide had lifted his boat, and he he was intimately. Confident that now was the time to, to proceed and to finalize matters.
0: In contrast to René Lévesque, 15 years before, who, as you say, was quite already convinced that he would not win such a referendum.
1: That's accurate. Uh, Lévesque did an honest campaign, but he uh, appeared completely uh, tired, exhausted, and not, not much of a buoyancy. Whereas uh, uh, Parisot appeared in 1994, 1995. Uh, to have you know, uh, rejuvenated by ten years, and yet Parisot will bomb. Yeah, he he won't succeed. Initially, he had to dilute his uh, his rum by adding lots of water. <laughs> it, in order to um, to, get, to garner the support of Lucien Bouchard and yes. the Bloc Québécois, who 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 was a more moderate type of nationalist or sovereignist, and in order and also to enroll the middle of the road, uh, small party Action démocratique du Québec, the predecessor of today's CAC with François Legault, well, in order to have these two other parties join his clan. He had to, uh, pr- to agree six months before the referendum to a slightly watered version of sovereignty. So if it had been for Parisot's will, the referendum question would have been blunt. Hey people, do you want independence? Yes, no. He had to propose something slightly more nuanced. Do you want independence provided that we offer Ottawa for a, a one-year duration? The possibility of establishing a new partnership. He knew in his heart that never would such a partnership be adopted or proposed within the scope of one year. But nevertheless, he had to give this sop to appease the slightly more moderate nationalists. And for a while, the campaign was immensely in Parisot's favor.
0: And yet, Lucien Bouchard had to come in and take over the the campaign. Did he not?
1: Yeah, in early October 1995, October 7th to be precise, the campaign was going well for Parisot, especially since he faced a very weak, not very um, televisionally impressive opponent, Daniel Johnson Jr., was then the head of the No forces and the, the leader of the Quebec Liberal Party. He was an extremely able, competent, and uh, uh, v- valuable uh, person and politician. But he did not have the capacity to galvanize troops. Um, and Lucien Bouchard was uh, was hired, so to speak, in early October 1994, uh, five, 95, with the mandate of being. Quebec's chief negotiator from the day after the referendum. Lucien Bouchard, at the time, we sometimes have forgotten, was the most popular leader in Quebec. He was almost a Christic figure, very charismatic. If we recall, he had had an extremely grueling. Uh, disease uh, about a year previously when he unfortunately lost a leg to a very dramatic in, dr- in dramatic circumstances nevertheless he soldiered on and uh, kept his flame and his uh, his fire intact and he was viewed as you know an untouchable uh, you know messiah. Uh, Parizeau was respected, but he was not loved. Lucien Bouchard was, you know, uh, ardently loved by Quebecers, and this had, you know, an incredible effect on the public opinion polls, which for quite some time showed a comfortable yes majority. But then Ottawa uh, awakened. Jean Chrétien and the Ottawa uh, government had of course, watched the campaign unfold, but did not wish to intervene too boldly, lest they be accused of trampling into another territory. But they saw, just like Trudeau and Chrétien and Lalonde saw in 1980, that by himself, Johnson and his troops could, could be no match for Lucien Bouchard and his aura. So then the federal liberals started to be more involved with the assistance, in fact, it was a transpartisan effort in Ottawa and across the provinces.
0: In both cases, both in 1980 and 1995, it's striking how the uh, no side was led by by people who were not telegenic, who were not charismatic, and who were, let's just say, clumsy in their defense of federalism.
1: Yes, it, uh, on their viewpoint, it is unfortunate. But to stay on their viewpoint, they had the blessing of having, watching uh, from the sidelines in Ottawa, uh, very able allies or big brothers. Uh, when, uh, when Pierre Trudeau and his uh, entourage intervened in 1980, that had a resounding impact. Uh, and uh, When Chrétien and the entire gamut of provincial premiers intervened in 1995, it cannot be said to have had an immense impact. Nevertheless, it managed to sway just enough undecided voters towards the no side to ensure that the no would eventually win by, I took a note, 54,000 votes of difference, which is minuscule it's 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 infinitesimally
0: small it's important to to remind our listeners that 93 per, over 93% of people voted the turnout was 9 over 93% in the 1980 referendum the turnout had been 85% was there a turning point in the 1995 campaign the same way that the Yvette's, for example uh, in 1980, was there something similar to that, a turning point that would have shifted opinion in one way or another?
1: I would say the Lucien Bouchard appointment, October 7, 1995, immediately uh, gained uh, gained the we side, many points in opinion polls. And, well, these points just frittered half a point by half a point over the succeeding three weeks, not through any big resounding traumatizing news just by a sort of last minute moments of doubt by just a, by just enough citizens numerically to ensure that the we could not get past the finish line so close extremely close and yet
0: the event seems to have completely sucked the wind out of the sails of independence thinking in quebec
1: uh, this is largely due to uh, Mr. Parizeau himself. Uh, you, we, we will all recall, I think, uh, Mr. Jacques Parizeau's unfortunate you know, um, uh, comments uh, in the evening of October 30th, 1995, when he had to deliver his concession speech at the Palais des Congrès in Montreal. He was extremely distressed because he had hoped up to the last hour he had confidently confidently expected a slim but clear victory of maybe fifty one or fifty two per cent His entourage assured him of that, and yet the numbers were there and, and were unescapable, so he blurted out that all oh, we lost by what uh, due to what due to money and due to many ethnic votes. And that was an extremely uh, crude and unfortunate comment to make. And for the next months and the next years, the entire sovereignist movement, instead of being emboldened emboldened by its very, very near victory to to go for the last step, well, for the next years, the independence movement spent most of his energies proving to itself and proving to others that no... It was not ethnocentric or ethnophobic or racist or whatnot. Yes, it was inclusive and so on and so on. So essentially, it was stuck in a defensive or preservationist mood for many years because it it had the bad conscience. Xavier, you said that 1980
0: was a turning point in the quiet revolution was 1995 to your mind the end of the quiet revolution how are we to re- how are we to interpret that event the significance of that event
1: speaking to a historian 25 years is a relatively short time span to um, to observe things uh, nevertheless certainly the deck of cards have been reshuffled uh, after the extreme fright felt by the federal government uh, in the 1995 campaign, and due to the fact that they had barely uh, seized victory, uh, the uh, the federal government uh, resorted to the Clarity Act, and then the Supreme Court uh, decided that the issue of independence was a legitimate possibility uh, for Quebecers to decide, provided there was a clear answer to a clear Question. So that proved to be a, at least a clarification of rules, but but nevertheless it meant a, a higher, and a brisker requirement, for the We forces, and also there are limits to the extent to which you know popular, uh, vigor and enthusiasm can be sustained for decades. We can say that the thrust towards. Greater autonomy, if not outright independence for Quebec, was born in 1960, to simplify matters. Well, after 35 years, many of the old warriors have left the scene. Others are tired. They are also legitimately concerned by other pressing matters. In 1980, the Indigenous question or debate was not at the forefront of Quebec public opinion and not even of pan-Canadian public opinion. However, things changed after 1990 and the OCA crisis. So you see, the independence or autonomy issue was just one topic among others. Environment, similarly, was a negligible concern in 1980. But after 1990, acid rain and so on and so on, it became increasingly important. In other words, other topics, other themes started to crowd the scene and perhaps uh, question the urgency of the need for eventual sovereignty.
0: And let's not forget globalization, the fact that Quebec finds itself, like all Western nations, subject to a, a demanufacturing of its uh, of its industries, uh, recessions in the early 1990s, a recession... Uh, major recessions in the early 2000s and, and again 2010. So you're, you're quite right to point out that the, the, the political environment in Quebec has been affected by many, many different factors, and that perhaps for, for a generation or so, the, the perception of independence as a priority has been diminished.
1: Yes, and uh, let's add to this very valid point the, um, the ironical fruit of uh, one Parti Québécois policy, Bill 101, the, the law establishing unilingualism in Quebec in 1977. To a large part, the, the move towards greater autonomy or independence for Quebec was driven by the, by the fact that uh, French Canadians, as they were then called, were the poor Brothers, the ugly ducklings of Canada, poor, not respected, you know, etc., etc. Well, with Bill 101, however, it's imperfections in the eye of some people. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, French started to be um, infinitely better protected and enshrined in the school system and others. Therefore, French-speaking Quebecers gained a sense of cultural security that they did not have previously. Hence the question, well, is independence as urgently needed as it used to be? The answer is less certain.
0: Xavier, are there any questions in your mind that need to be researched to understand the events of 1980 and 1995? Are there questions left in your mind that need to be resolved for us to really, to really understand the significance of those events?
1: I think for the 1995 referendum, we will we will need to wait a little before some of the extremely prominent actors have um, to say it very delicately left the scene, um, because the archives are not yet completely uh, available. Uh, the uh, for 1995 we are blessed with an infinity of journalistic coverage, uh, much of it uh r- rather objective and extremely useful some of it opinionated and still very useful but you see uh, Lucien Bouchard and Jean Chrétien to name just these two very important indi- individuals periodically uh, uh, state their views on public matters therefore they are still actors I-, I think the the wise or cautious historian would say let the passage of time occur and let the archives and the legitimate passions, let, let them subside before concluding much. As for 1980, I have the impression that with the flurry of biographies on Pierre Trudeau and René Lévesque, to name just these two sources, biographies that are sometimes extremely harsh and critical, sometimes fawning hopefully most of them between these two polls, I think we get a good sense not only on, on the factual chain of events, but also on the psychological assumptions, both on the leaders and of the general population.
0: Coming back to the general population and the voting behavior, it seems to me that at some point there needs to be an appreciation of how very much divided The Quebecois, the French-Canadian, the French-Quebecois opinion really was in both those uh, referenda. Um, Lucien uh, Jacques Jacques Parizeau made, as you said earlier, declared that the no side had lost because of capital and because of the immigrant vote or the non-francophone vote. I think that at some point there is—I mean, certainly the nationalist uh, historians, the nationalist perspective on those events, uh, agrees with this perception that the referendum was taken from the French Canadian by the presence of uh, of an anglophone or an allophone, as as, they, as it's called, uh, vote. The assumption being that uh, an anglophone would. Instinctively, vote against independence, as would an allophone, which is a claim that is not substantiated. In my view, where do you stand on that?
1: Well, there is a there is a distinction to be made between a, a statistical analysis of results and the uh, judgment or conclusion we derive from it. Uh, it is a fact that the non-Old French Canadian stock voters in nineteen ninety five voted no. To a, in a percentage of perhaps for excessive, in excess of 80%. The non-de-souche French Canadians who supported the yes side tended to be Francophone immigrants from Northern Africa, Haiti, or Latin America. In the Anglophone group, I mean, the percentage who voted yes was negligible. So the, the statistics are there. That uh, the the statist, the, um, the constatation, however bitterly and nastily expressed by Parizeau, had therefore a foundation in in demographics and mathematics. Many leaders of, a, of important cultural and ethnic communities in Quebec had, in the weeks before the referendum, publicly uh, urged their their compatriots um, to vote no the Canadian Jewish Congress, the Hellenic Association, the Italian Canadian Congress, and so on. that That's that's something. However, the conclusion or the judgment or, or the approach uh, to be derived from the stats, that's something else. The question could probably or mu- must have been, okay, we abysmally failed in enlarging the tent, in convincing or wooing a substantial number of non-old French Canadians, Quebecers, to join the fight. What? What is it that we did wrong? Were we, after all, exclusivist, even if we did not, you know, deliberately intended to be? Did we offer something that enabled people who were not of new France stock to feel that they were part of the new movement or did they legitimately felt behind and then equally legitimately said, hey, if I don't feel invited to your party, I, I will not give you a blank check? The,
0: the lesson for me, uh, looking at those two results 15 years apart, though, is that where in 1980, the older traditionalist Québécois had decided to support Mr. Trudeau, that that cohort of electors was not convinced so much by the federalist side and decided this time to support the the we oui. in other words the the division of quebecers was even more stark in 1995
1: is that fair in 1995 it's, it's interesting uh, because uh, pierre Drouilly, the late um, uh, electoral sociologist from the university of quebec at montreal has drawn uh, has made very uh, finely-tuned studies, the divisions, apart from the ethno-linguistic groupings which we have talked about previously, are very much a, made on a regional basis. Essentially, 60% of Francophones Quebecers voted yes, but there were signal exceptions. In the Outaouais region, bordering Ottawa and Hull and Gatineau, then the proportion was completely not there. It was Maybe a 70% no vote by the Francophones. And surprisingly, if you don't know the uh, sociology of Quebec, in the greater Quebec City area, uh, Francophones either barely supported the oui or gave a bare majority to the non side. And this speaks to the traditional conservatism of the Quebec City area in general.
0: Yes. Always
1: a little bit more federalist. Exactly, because Quebec City has has been well well treated by the federal system and is no is in no situation of cultural insecurity or danger due to its enormous demographic majority. Xavier,
0: I want to finish with the last question, and it's a really unfair question. Are you going to see another referendum in your lifetime?
1: Something tells me uh, that <laughs> one thing I don't know is this. It- I wish you a long life, Xavier. up. wish this out. So um, if, if I had the statistician's vocabulary, I would say that I have no certainty of my lifetime and I have probably even less cert- certainty of political events. Because, oh, you're just dodging my question. No, but <laughs> there, is a, there is a point in this. If, if we turn back the clock and if we imagine ourselves in 1982, 1983, we would never have guessed that there would have been in a, a very, very closely successful sovereignty referendum 12-ish years later. Therefore, this is largely due to circumstances and individuals that we don't know. However, I think that with with two factors, the demographic balance changing in Quebec, increasing proportion of immigrants into Quebec are not of French native tongue, and Quebec, as most Western societies, uh, is experiencing difficulties into incorporating the non-old stock populations and is hesitating between, you know, multiculturalism, multi-ethnicity, integration, interculturalism, and so on. All of this amounts to the fact that the cohesiveness and historical common consciousness that helped a great deal propel the we in 1980 and 1995 is not here at the moment. May may, may occur, but is not here at the moment. And second factor, there is, as we said earlier, a concurrence of other causes, which to some persons seems more meaningful. The immense environmental fight, the question of social justice uh, vis-à-vis indigenous Canadians, uh, various class um, uh, issues, uh, discrimination on the basis of religion, sexual orientation, and so on. It seems to be a hodgepodge of issues, but it's just to say that there is no longer this obsessional fixation with the, with constitutional matters that used to animate Quebecers and Laurentian Canadians for so many years.
0: Xavier it's always a pleasure to talk history with you. Thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your insights.
1: And very kind of and patient to listen. Thank you.
0: speaking with Xavier Gelina, the author of La Droite Intellectuelle Québécoise et la Révolution Tranquille and co-editor of Duplessis, Son milieu, son époque, as well as two volumes of René Lévesque's political commentary between 1966 and 1971, entitled Chronique Politique. We reached him at his office at the Canadian Museum of History. You've been listening to Witness to Yesterday, the Champlain Society podcast on Canadian history. Please visit our website at champlainsociety.ca where you'll find more about what the Society does. There's even a place to become a member and a sustainer of the Society if you like these conversations with historians about Canada's past. Please let people know how much you like these dialogues by using whatever social media you use. We'd be really proud of your support. This podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society who are making an investment in the hard work of bringing to life original documents in Canadian history. Thank you. Thanks also to the Hudson's Bay Company History Foundation, the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, and a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, the University of British Columbia Press, and the University of Ottawa Press. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the middle of a pandemic on September 30th, 2020, by our excellent producer, Jessica Schmidt. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time.